Um, if you are a student, you are dismissed to go with Weldon or with Morgan or with Hannah. Bye, Keller. <laughs> bye, he said. Somebody bye. asked me, I says, does it bother you when kids make noise and ruckus? And I said, are you kidding? I was a pastor of my dad for so, so many years. I mean, <laughs> no kid made much noise and ruckus as he did, so <laughs> not a problem. Um, good morning. Welcome to Christ Community Church. Happy as heck that y'all are here. And um, I just speak God's blessings into your life in Jesus' name today. It's been a minute. It has been a minute. Yeah. Yeah, well, I just was very worried last week about y'all slipping on the deep snow in the parking lot. And so we, we uh, <laughs> when the Botanic Garden called or texted me and said they were closing, I said, okay, so nothing we could do about that. But uh, I'm glad y'all are here today, today and I'm glad uh, as well. Turk? I do believe the dead in Christ rise, so good for you. Turk's been very sick, and really sick for what a, not that kind, another, not a contagious deal. But uh, anyway, it's good to see you, my friend. Um, Lord Jesus, I, uh, I want to ask you to please reveal yourself today in our midst and speak through Shirley and me. And... Um, I pray that we would hear a fresh word from you that would impact our lives in a very profound, life-changing, memorable way. Please let it be so, I ask in Christ's name, amen. Uh, in, Shirley, if, if I'm wrong, I'm close. In approximately 2,000, there's a lot of details that go along with this that don't matter for this for today. But um, I was working for an organization, a missions organization, and it was my job to take groups from churches all over America to take these groups um, on trips all over Africa, all over Asia, all over Eastern Europe, all over South America, Central America, and we would build churches and hospitals and schools and w dig wells and uh, do all kind of uh, all kind of different ministries. And it was one of the most wonderful seasons of my life, but it was also one of the hardest. And uh, one of the things that one of the places that I took teams was uh, to Ukraine. And this was right after the, the, the Soviet Union had collapsed. And it was very, very rough in Eastern Europe at that time. Very rough. The, the, the gangs, the mafia, the, the, it was just, it was rough. And uh, I had to go over there, to, especially to Kiev, uh, very often. I don't know how many times, many, many, many times. And back then I was running a lot. <laughs> and, um, back in the olden days. Back in the olden days, I was, I was running a lot. And so I'd get up early in the morning before everybody else, and I'd spend my time with the Lord. And then uh, before everybody get, got up, I'd, I'd go out and I'd run. And I'd run, you know, eight miles, ten miles. 
anyway, one morning, I got up real early and uh, it was cold, bad cold. And I uh, spent my time with the Lord and put on my little running shorts and a little t-shirt and then a, just a, a long sleeve like a windbreaker. It was probably 40 degrees. But I was, I was running then. I mean, I was serious running. And so I, I, you know, I was sweating. By the time I was through, I was sweating like a 4-H club calf. And so I, uh, I, was, I was running. Well, anyway, uh, if you've ever been to Eastern Europe, if you've ever been to any of those big cities in Eastern Europe, where the communist built buildings, they all looked exactly the same. Every building. Now, I don't mean old before communism. I don't mean that, but I mean if you go to some of these bigger cities, they would build the, for miles these buildings. They were the same height, same concrete, same color, same shape, same windows. And this, this, these, would be, these buildings would be for miles in every direction. And so the way I worked that out is I'd get up and I would just run down a road from my, where I was staying, wherever that was, and I would run different distances, but let's just say 20 blocks. And then I would run 20 blocks, and then I would run 20 blocks, and then I'd run 20 blocks, and I'd be right back where I started. Worked every time. No Clearly. cell phones then, right? This oh, is yeah, no, there, to the story, no, so no, no GPS anywhere. There, no, and I, and I didn't speak a word of uh, Ukrainian. Um, well, a few words, but not much. And um, anyway, so I start running. It was about 40 degrees. And almost the minute I started running, it started flurrying. And the longer I ran, it, started, it went from flurrying to snowing. And from snowing to blizzarding. And, it, and that 40 degrees went from, there's no cell phones. I didn't know what the weather was. I just, you know, I looked out the window when I started. I didn't know. Um, so it went from 40 degrees and it started dropping. Well, I ran down my, let's just say 20 blocks. I don't know exactly, 10, 20 blocks, whatever it was. Turned right, ran that. And came down, turned, ran to, well, when I got, by the time I got back to where I thought my apartment was, you couldn't see that window. And ev like I said, every building looked the same. And I got lost. And here I am in shorts and a little old cotton shirt uh, and a windbreaker. And uh, don't speak a word of, of Ukrainian. And um, it starts snowing harder and harder. And at that time... You might think, well, you know, there would be businesses that would be, there, there, was, there, was, there was nothing open. There was nothing, there was no, there was, <laughs> there was nothing. And if there was something open, they would have been very suspicious of a dude. In, everybody else is wearing parkas and, and carrying guns and all this. And here I am, this stupid American. I got lost, really lost. And so I didn't know what to do after a while, so I just retraced my run all the way back. It's getting colder and colder. Snow's getting deeper and deeper. And I'm getting colder and colder. Got all the way back to where I thought the place was again. I looked and looked, couldn't I? So I did it again. 
Uh, this went on for quite a while, and my point, I finally the Lord was very kind and, and helped me get find the place. But it took quite a while, and the, the only thing that I want, the reason I told you that story, I will never forget that feeling of being lost. I, I, I had I, never, I had been hunting all my life. I had traveled all my life. I'd been all over. I'd gotten misdirected for a, you know, for a little while, but I was lost and it was dangerous and I had nowhere to turn and no one was there to help me. And uh, I'll never forget that feeling of just being absolutely, utterly lost. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to, I want to, I'm going to ask you some questions today. And one of the questions is, have you ever felt lost? Not disoriented or misdirected or, you know, I mean, have you ever felt lost? And that feeling of being lost was connected to, I am in danger. I am in a serious situation. And I need help. I need rescue. Um, I told y'all a few weeks ago that my daughter gave me this incredible book by N.T. Wright, um, who's the foremost Pauline scholar in the world. And he wrote a book about Paul and she gave it to me for Christmas and I've been reading it. It's not an easy read, but I'm, I'm plowing through it. And one of the things that he brings up in this book is that Paul is the only person in the entire New Testament who the, the gospel writers tell his encounter with the Son of God three times. They repeat almost the same story. There's a, you know, they add a little bit. But basically, the gospel writers, the New Testament writers, repeat Jesus, uh, uh, Paul's encounter where he leaves Jerusalem, uh, a Pharisee and a, and a hater of, of, of Jesus and a hater of Jesus' followers, and he's traveling to Damascus to go and arrest and kill people that do believe in Jesus. And on the way, he has this encounter with Jesus. Jesus comes to him. He's not looking for Jesus. Jesus comes looking for him. And Jesus reveals himself to Paul and Paul recognizes that it is Jesus, the Son of God. And he hears Jesus speak to him. Was it, was it audible? I don't know. Doesn't matter. Paul would say, I heard it. And, it, and that encounter with, that Paul had with Jesus, it so changed Paul's life that when Paul came back to Jerusalem, he was now a lover of Jesus and a lover of the followers of Jesus. And N.T. Wright would say that was unbelievably amazing that somebody 
that had, it was very reasonable to believe that the Apostle Paul, as a Pharisee, had memorized, if not all the Old Testament, the majority of the Old Testament. Knew it by heart. It was very reasonable to believe that the Apostle Paul, before he became, he was one of the most morally excellent people that have ever lived. He didn't do wrong. He was a rule-following, command-obeying, uh, holy man. And no one, by other people's testimonies, there was no one living on the planet at that time that was more devoted to God than, than Paul. His name at that time was Saul. He knew the Bible. He was morally superior. I mean, excellent. And he was devoted to God. And yet, when he had this encounter with the Son of God on the road to Damascus, he recognized, apart from all of that knowledge, Bible knowledge, all of that moral excellence, all of that devotion to God, he still needed a Savior. He recognized, I know more of the Bible than probably all of y'all combined. I've obeyed the Old Testament probably better than most. And I am, I've devoted my life to God. But I still need a Savior. Three times the New Testament writers mention this experience with Paul. And N.T. Wright would say, they did that so that we would ask ourselves, so that the readers of the Bible would ask themselves, have you ever had an experience like that? Has there been a time in your life? That's why they repeated it three times, according to N.D. Wright. Well, and in, in literature, we know that any time, literature and poetry, anytime something is repeated, even just one, one repetition, it draws attention. This is important. So three times would be that much more important. Exactly. Thank don't, you. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Paul, Bible scholar, moral excellent person, and devote, devoted to God person, he still needed an encounter with God that led to his, to a transformation in his life. And that the writers of the Bible, of the New Testament, by mentioning it three times, they're, they're wanting us that read the Bible to ask ourselves, has that experience or something like that ever happened to you? I think it's one of the most important questions that you and I will ever ask ourselves. Have we ever come face to face with the Son of God? Have we ever come to a place when we know we have heard God speak to us? Does it have to be on the road to Damascus, which is a real road? No. Doesn't have to be in Palestine, Middle East. Does it have to be on the day? No. Not talking about a day. Not talking about a place. Not talking about the, the, the peripheral fluffy extras. 
but one of the most religiously incredible people that have ever lived, he had an experience with God that he knew was God. And it changed his life forever. And the New Testament writers would want us to ask ourselves, have you and have I ever had an experience like that? So, Shirley, not that I'd ever put anybody on the spot. No. Have you ever had an experience like that? Do you remember a time in your life when you came face to face, not necessarily visually, might have been, but you knew that you were in the presence of God and you heard God speak to you and it changed your life forever. Has that ever happened to you? Well, indeed it has. Hmm. Would you share? I, I will. I will. So, um, Paul's experience with facing the truth of the claims of Christ was dramatic. It was a blinding light and he if you remember the story, he falls on the ground. He's blind for a little while because of the brightness of the light. <clears throat> Mine was not like that at all. You weren't riding along on a horse and fell off? I, I was not <laughs> riding a horse. We, at the time, were attending Whitehaven Presbyterian. And anybody watching from Whitehaven Presbyterian will remember um, there was a time when they were having There's like a... Not. Huh? Anyway, go ahead. They're they all will, dead. They will have... Well, not all dead. <laughs> They were having like a revival thing at church, and it, and they were having a, it was for the youth, and they were going to have a lock-in, Lord help us, a lock-in. So I was 12 years old, and all the mothers of the teens were supposed to bring food up there for the lock-in, and then they were going to stay, and, and, and we were going to be there on a Friday night or something. So anyway, my mother had made the food, and she'd given it to my father, and he was driving us up there to, me, up there to the lock-in, and we were walking up these stairs to go to the gym. And one of the fellows, an older guy from Jackson, Tennessee, older man, yeah, who was going to be a part yeah. of this weekend, um, he, in, in my mind, he was a thousand years old now. That's what a 12-year-old remembers. Kenneth. Probably. Oh, don't do that. Um, Walter Kenneth. Walter Kenneth. Walter yeah, Kenneth. Kenneth. Walter Kenneth. Owned a car dealership in Jackson, Tennessee. Yeah. Anyway, uh -huh. so he comes walking up as we're walking up. My dad's got like spaghetti, and I'm all eager for the lock-in. And as we're walking down, he goes, can I just have a, a minute of your, this older man, can I just have a minute of your time? And my father's like, yeah. To say it's the opposite of what happened to Paul is a, a great understatement. Mr. Kennan just said, I just wonder, he said to my dad, who would have been about 35 years old, 36 years old, something like that. Have you ever really considered the claims of Christ? Like what he claimed to do or to have done? died and resurrected for the sins of the world. And he went on and explained explain that. And my father, who normally would have, I think in my memory, would have maybe said, you know, we're kind of in a hurry. I got this spaghetti and we got to get to the, did not do that and said, well, just tell me what that is. This older gentleman, quiet, we sat down on those steps and he just told the story of what Jesus claims. And at the end, he said to my father, 
do you, are you interested in, in that? Do you believe that? Do you want to believe that? And it was just as simple as this. My father said, well, I believe I do. <laughs> and then he looked at me. And you have to know, my, and Larry has alluded to my relationship with my father, but um, he said, what about you? And my response as a kid was, well, if he's going to do it, I'm going to do it. Mm. And we came to believe in a quiet evening, sitting on stairs by a pot of spaghetti growing cold. That After we, a conversation with a car dealership dude from Jackson, Tennessee. A super old guy <laughs> who, yeah, that we just decided, yes, we, we will accept those claims. We believe those claims. And change your life. It did. And in that conversation that that old car dealer had with you on yeah. those church steps, um, did you, did it resonate with you what I said that Paul, he knew that he was in the presence of Jesus Christ. Whether he could see him or not, hear him audibly or not, he knew that he was, that Jesus was there and that Jesus was speaking to him. Does that resonate with you? Yeah, it was like the uh, older man just sat down. He knew the truth. He knew his truth. And he just said it. It was not dramatic. Um, and he just kind of laid it out there like, take it or leave it, but you have to do one or the other. Accept it or reject it. Well, you, you can't. These claims are amazing that a person died and rose again. No one else made that claim in the whole of history. So mm. you have to decide what you're going to do about that. Mm. Mm. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. I'm not sure apathy works there. I think that's part of the by design. I know when I, I'd grown up in the same church. Yeah. Don't ever remember, sure I was told, but don't ever remember anybody explaining to me the claims of Christ. And I wanted to date Shirley, and she, the only way she, would, she wouldn't date me because I was not going down the right road at all. But she said... Once again, the Willie Nelson t-shirts. <laughs> yes, yes. I can't stress it quite <laughs> enough. Yeah, yeah. It was a lot of... Tra anyway... Um, but she said, I'll let you come sit by me at church and you can go out to di uh, dinner with me and my family after church if you want to do that. I didn't care whether it was a bar or a church or what it was. I just wanted to go with, be with her. And so we, I went to church, sat down there that Sunday. It was a Sunday night. And um, this man was preaching, teaching from God's Word. and I'd never heard anything like that. But he basically explained the claims of Christ. That Jesus came to this earth. He claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed to love us. He claimed to offer us eternal life if we would put our faith in Him. And then He provided that eternal life by dying in our place for our sins on the cross and proved that what He did was sufficient to pay for our sins and give us eternal life because He rose from the grave. I'd never heard anything like that in my life. And uh, I didn't know what to do with that information. And so I went, you know, I went out to dinner with them and went home and 
man, for many, many nights. I laid in bed at night and thought about that. I'd never, I knew all, I'd grown up in church. My mom, man, she'd toted us to church, you know, our whole lives. We went to VBS, we were in the children's choir, went to Sunday school, and, you know, we'd, but this idea that I was supposed, that, that God had provided a gift, but the gift was only applicable or usable or beneficial for me if I intentionally accepted it. I didn't know that. And I'll, I, I think I've told some of you before, but I, I laid in bed several nights and man, my dad taught us boys don't, men don't cry. I don't ever remember crying. But I would lay in bed at night those nights and I, I'll never forget tears would stream out of my eyes and wet the pillow on both sides of my chair. I'd never, I'd never felt that sensation before. And when I would roll my face to one side or the other, my cheek would feel that wetness on that pillow because I, I didn't know what to do with that information. And uh, finally, after three or four nights, I didn't ask anybody. I didn't, know, I didn't know what to ask anybody. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know. But that man that preached that night had said, if you, all, you ain't got to know any religious words. You don't have, there's no special secret code words to say. You don't have to, just, you just tell God that you believe that his son came and lived and loved and died and rose again and you want the eternal life that he can provide. And um, I, I'll, uh, after three or four nights, I got, in all, I got out of bed and got on my knees, which getting on your knees doesn't matter, but I did. And I just said, God, I give all that I know about me to all I know about you. And I hope you'll do the rest. That was about exactly what I prayed. And uh, I knew in that little bedroom that I was in that Jesus was there. Just, that's the part of this that resonated with me. I, just like Paul knew that Jesus, he was in the presence of Jesus. I knew that Jesus. I didn't see a light. I didn't hear a trumpet. I didn't hear an angel, nothing. But I knew he was there. And I knew that what I had been told by that man that Sunday night was true. And I, I believed, I believed that he, that the, Jesus, the Son of God, died and rose again and loved me and wanted to, he was offering me eternal life and he, and, and I believe he heard me and he came into my life that night. I can identify with Paul. S different experience, different scenario, different factors. But I, and I believe Shirley would say, she knew that she was in the presence of God and God was offering her something and she accepted it by faith. Has life been perfect? Have we never gotten, you know, have we not had problems? Have we not gotten sick? Have we not been poor? Have we not been hurt? It, 
our experiences with Jesus and the Apostle Paul would tell you for sure having an encounter and therefore a relationship with Jesus Christ does not necessarily make life better. Let me say it one more time. Having an encounter that leads to a relationship with Jesus Christ does not necessarily make life better. And anybody that tells you it does, they're lying. Could, could, but if they tell you it guarantees, they're a liar. What it does mean is that he promises to go through life with you. Win, lose, or draw, good or bad, abundance or lack, he'll go through life with you and he will ultimately use what you do go through for your good and he'll ultimately lead us to something really, really great one day. That's, that's the gospel. Nothing less, nothing more. I wanted to challenge us today. And you can blame N.T. right, because we never talk like this. This is not the way we normally present. But I read that about the Apostle Paul and how the writers of the, of the New Testament said, they want you to ask yourself, has something like that ever happened to you? And I started thinking about how just the language that the Bible uses, the stories of the Bible, the metaphors of the Bible, they all validate this. They all say, yes, that's right. That there must be a moment when you know that you're in the presence of God and you, you know it's Him and you understand that He's offering you something and you believe it. Still lots of questions, still scared to death, but you believe it and you receive it as a gift. Who was I just talking? Oh, I was talking to Zach and Justin and Chris and all those hooligans just a minute ago about, about Noah and the ark. Noah knew that God was speaking to him. And God had offered him provision from destruction. And Noah accepted it by getting on that ark. Moses and the Israelites knew that they were in the presence of God when God opened up that Red Sea and they had to make a decision. You're going to leave slavery and walk across that which God has provided into a new life. Or you're not. But it was an event. It was a moment. It was an experience. Different factors. In fact, incredibly different factors. Every one of those. But they all declare the same thing. Uh, when when, when uh, uh, God told Moses to tell the Israelites, take an innocent lamb and kill it. Take its blood and put it on the door because a death angel is going to come over the, the, your homes. And if it sees the blood of the innocent, it will not kill anybody in your home. They knew it was God. 
And they knew God was offering them provision, salvation, rescue. And they had to make a decision. Are we going to take that innocent lamb, slay it, and put its blood on the or are we not? But if we do, God's promise, he's offering us salvation. He's offering us protection. And I could go on and on and on. Um, for some of you that read the Bible more than others, that snake on the pole, they had to look at it or not look at it. Taking that lamb once a year, each family had to take a lamb again and kill it throughout Israel's history and take it to the priest and give that lamb to that priest and, the, and then you, you would lay your hands on that lamb and what you were doing was you were transferring your guilt and your shame and your wrong on the, the guilty is transferring its guilt and its wrong onto the innocent. I'm trusting God to forgive me through the death of one that was innocent. But you had to go. You had to stand before the priest. There was a moment. There was an event. There was a decision. And then the metaphors that the New Testament uses. You, uh, Brenda read the words of Christ. Verily, verily, I say unto you, you will not enter the kingdom of God unless what? You're born again. That's an event. That's a moment. It's not something you ease into. It's a moment. It's an experience. Uh, uh, Peter says in 1 Peter, I think chapter 2 or 3, chapter 2, that we are adopted. There's a mo In fact, we sang a song, Chris, about, about being adopted. Um, we're adopted into, the, into God's family. And Jerry and Kim, you remember the day that you, were, that you walked into that lawyer's office, I guess it was a lawyer's office, and you signed those documents, and your Gracie was adopted into your family, and she became yours. That was a, that was a, yeah, I'm not saying there's not a process, but there was a moment when she was not adopted, and she became adopted. It's a moment, it's an experience. You don't ease in, I mean, you don't ease into adoption. There, there's, there's a process. things you have to do, yeah. right. But there comes a moment when it's no longer, it's done. It's a thing. It's a moment. I think about these guys in the back. You were calling them, the, these people you were calling hooligans a minute ago. You know, being, being, gracious, being songwriters, yeah. singer-songwriters, whatever. Um, you know, it is so easy to... I have talked, myself talked about being a writer for 30 years and never wrote anything on the page. I wanted to be a writer. I thought about it. But I never did it. And so these guys are songwriters because they write songs. Mm. They sit down with whatever instrument they have, pen, guitar, and write words on the page. It's easy for me then to listen and become a critic of the song. Well, I don't know about that song. That didn't sound so good to me. I'm not sure about that rhyme. I'm not sure I agree with all that. Okay, but I'm not, I've not had the event. They write the song. They're songwriters because they have had a moment where they sat down and moved from being people who talk about writing songs to people who do it. That's a great example. The metaphors are endless. 
I think about Lazarus, Jesus' one of his best friends. And there came a moment in Lazarus' life where he died. He was dead and Jesus said, wake up and come out of that grave. And Lazarus was dead and he came back to life. Do you see these are not, it's not just that, it's not just that uh, Lazarus was hanging, he was dead, but he was hanging around alive people. That wasn't enough. Just like, I'm sure there are people that think if you hang around, you go over to, go up to Nashville, and up where that street where all those bars are, where all those people are trying to become famous country singers, um, uh, they, they're hanging around singers and songwriters. And, but that doesn't make you a singer or a songwriter. That's why the Bible over and over and over again talks about this moment when we know that we have been in the presence of God and we understand that God loves us that we need a Savior and that God is offering that to us through the life and the death and the resurrection of His Son who came and lived and died and rose again 2,000 years ago. And we choose to accept it. It's a choice. We accept it. And when that happens, the Bible says that we transfer from a kingdom of darkness to a kingdom of light, from being an enemy of God to being a friend, from being a debtor to having our... Remember the day that you got your... your for some of us, buddy, you talking about a day. The day I paid off our house mortgage. Oh my gosh. One of the greatest days of my life. And I'll never forget that last stinking check and, I, and it was paid. God says that we owe a debt. Uh, uh, Brenda was talking about that, that we owe a debt. And God says, I'll pay that debt for you and it's paid in full. The day we transfer from being a criminal guilty of wrong and God declares that we are now innocent. We were slaves to sin but now we have become free men. We were aliens and foreigners and now we're citizens in heaven. We were orphans and now we are children. We were bridesmaids and now we're the bride. Different experiences, different factors and yet there is this consistency in all these metaphors that there came a day when we knew God was speaking to us, dealing with us, working in our life. We understood what He was saying to us and we believed it and accepted it. No one in the Bible has ever said it any better than that man in John 9 who was being barraged by religious leaders You've been talking to Jesus and you're claiming Jesus has done something in your life. He was a blind man. Who is this Jesus? Tell us who he is. Tell us what, what's going on. What's he teaching? What does he believe? What's he doing? And the man had the greatest answer that's ever been given in the Bible. I don't know all the answers to all your questions. But I know this. I was blind. I met Jesus. 
and now I see. An experience, an encounter, a moment where something life-transforming occurred. We're going to end. I'd give, I'd give an eye tooth for 30 more minutes, but another time. I love you more than I love my life. I, I, I swear I do. And I see you as glorious, wonderful, precious people. But I fear that this room has got many folks in it who are so wonderful that you would want them to be your neighbors. You'd hire them to go to work for you. You would love to go out to dinner with them or on a trip. You want them to, like I said, to be your neighbor. You, you, you want to travel with them. You want to live by them. But at the end of the day, it does not answer the question. Have you been born again? Have you come to the realization that you were blind? And then you met the one that could give you sight and you received that from him. So many people are nice and good and hardworking, but they've never experienced the new birth. And like Shirley said, how many people, maybe even in this room, really do feel like that if you just hang around a military base, that makes you a soldier. Or if you hang around a bank, that makes you an expert in finance. Or if you hang around in a, a sports arena, that makes you an athlete. Or you hang around a hospital, that makes you a doctor. No. What makes you those things, each of those things, is there came a moment when you made a choice, a decision. And that choice and decision led to a, a life that was separate and unique. And I just, I just wanted to, I don't know, like I said, when, when that writer, N.T. Wright, asked me that question, has that ever happened to you? What happened to Paul? Has it ever happened to you? That hit me like a ton of bricks. And I could say, honest engine. Well, I guess you're not supposed to say that anymore. But anyway, uh, <laughs> honestly, honestly, uh, I can remember when I was 18 years old. I was in the presence of God. I understood that I, I was like I was lost in Kiev, Ukraine. That night in my bedroom, I knew I was lost. And I needed a Savior. And God was offering me a Savior. And I accepted it by faith. I would just leave you with this. I'm not going to pressure you or guilt you or trick you or anything else, try to manipulate you, because that's, that's, not, that's not right. What I would say is if 
There comes a point where you want a Savior. You recognize, you know what, Larry? I've been trying to be a good person. I've gone to church. I know all the Bible stories. I, I really think God's great, and I want Him to be happy with me. But I don't know that I've ever had that experience. Um, at the end of the day, what I'm saying is, nowhere in the New Testament, nowhere in the New Testament, does the Bible present the idea that God is offering us a ticket to get out of hell and to get into heaven. That is no more in the Bible than a billy goat. What the Bible would say is, is that God is offering us a relationship with Him through the sacrifice of His Son. And if that's something that you would love to talk about some more, text me, call me. I'd love to go to coffee with you and talk to you about it. I'm not judging you. I'd just love to talk to you about it if you want to. Okay? Thank you. Thank you. Come on, fellers. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. We do this every Sunday. And in this little contraption, there's something they call bread, and there's something they call wine. I don't think it's either, but we're going to pretend. Jesus says that we should, on a regular basis, take bread and wine and eat and drink as a way of just reminding ourselves and declaring to one another there was a moment when I understood what God did for me when He sent His Son to die on the cross to pay for my sins. And I can remember, I can remember when I accepted that gift of eternal life. Shirley can remember it. I can remember it. Paul could remember it. He told people in every town in the Mediterranean world what had happened to him. And so we eat and we drink to just remind ourselves of what happened and to declare to one another, that happened to me, Turk. That happened to me. That, that which represents the body and the blood of Jesus, that life came into me and it changed me and it gave me hope and peace and joy and a future. Like I said, maybe you're sitting there going, I'm not sure if that's ever happened to me. Let's talk. Let's talk. But if that has happened to you, and you can remember it, um, Tommy, who's going to come up here and help me? Oh, Tommy's Tommy. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, ma'am. Oh, sucker, Bill. We're just going to leave him up there. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My bad. My bad. Okay. Excuse me. My bad. I changed the plan and then I forgot that I did it. Okay. Yeah. We're just going to have him up here. <laughs> I'm old. Give me a break. Um, uh, and I think I got frostbite in Kiev and my brain's never been the same. Um, but if you, if you would like to come up as the guys start singing and um, take some bread and wine and eat and drink just as a way of reminding yourself and declaring to one another what happened to you. 
when Jesus invaded your life with eternal life. I want you to do that. If you want to just sit there and pray and think, God bless you. That's, that's a wonderful op uh, option. And um, Lord, you, you hounded me. until I came to a place where I cried out to you. I'm so thankful you did. Because our salvation is your idea, not ours. You chased Paul. He, didn't, he wasn't chasing you. I just pray God that if there's anyone in this room, and I believe there's many, who really aren't sure they do not remember a time. They cannot identify with Paul's experience on the road to Damascus or Sherry's experience or mine. I pray, God, that they would think about it, pray about it, and cry out to you, or at least talk to somebody about, about it further. Please let it be so. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. You come if you want to.